0: This paid podcast is produced by Slate Studios and Teva Pharmaceuticals. From Slate Studios and Teva Pharmaceuticals, this is Life Effects, a podcast about health. I'm your host, Sarah Ivory. This season, we explore health conditions and trends through the lens of the patient. We look at what they experience now.
1: When I was growing up, the way that you got healthy was you kind of went to the gym and you lifted heavy objects, and it's just so boring. And now there's just so many ways for you to have fun while you're, you're exercising.
0: And we bring experts into the conversation who can map out what the future might hold.
2: I think now that everyone has access to information, whether it be credible or not, is making the patient more of an advocate for themselves.
0: Today, we're talking about young people and how they manage their health. From chat rooms to social media to wearable tech, millennials are used to having endless information just a click away. And when they have health questions, many don't think of calling a doctor first. They prefer instead to consult the internet. That's Stephen Fiskel's approach. He's 27 years old and works for a tech company. And a few years ago, he undertook a radical strategy to improve his health. Here's Stephen's story.
1: Growing up, I definitely was more introverted. I was probably playing video games like 40, 60 hours a week. Once I moved to San Francisco and things were much more social, it was like doing whatever other people were doing. A lot of just like getting together around food and alcohol. We'd throw we'd throw some some get together, some parties. One of them was a bacon party. So we we cooked I think 15 pounds of bacon, just uh, kind of gorging ourselves on the weekend to. And then drinking away our problems during the week, it seemed like. Towards the end of 2015, things just kind of started falling apart. Man, how old was I? I was 20, 24. I was a software engineer spending most of my time in front of a computer. At one point, I was at 300 pounds. Probably drinking every single day. And it's just this idea that like, if one part of my life isn't good, like I might as well just damage all the other parts of my life. I've had these ebbs and flows in my life where it just seems like everything's clicking and then everything's falling apart. So I started tracking what I thought were the most important things every single day so that I can know from objective data, how's my life doing? <laughs> am I am I improving? Are things falling apart? Is there a trend? The way that the spreadsheet works is it's all around the perimeter. It's almost like a kind of like a stock market, like a personal stock um, that it's it's either increasing and decreasing every day. Those most important things attribute to me getting one percent better, positive eating, body movement, and sleeping well. It's kind of weird that I I keep track of when I hang out with friends, but it's mostly to remind myself to be intentional that I shouldn't just be hiding away in a corner somewhere. Fear setting. So for me, this is uh, not getting used to like my daily comforts. I went out and went to a, a turf class where you kind of like glide around the floor. It looks like you're floating, and I did it because I was just totally terrified of like expressing myself. And ever since that first class, I've I've been dancing <laughs> like all the time. And then on top of that, I would journal every day. In addition to having objective data, I have this this subjective journaling. When I'm trying to get out of those ebbs, I can understand, you know, the evolution of my thinking. It's got kind of a funny name. People at work call me Esteban, and they call me Bond for short. So it's called the Bond Industrial Average. It hit the time where I needed to go to bed, and I would check the bond. I'd be like, "Crap, I didn't do anything for myself." <laughs> so I would actually get out of bed and, you know, knock off as many things as I could. You just forget to do these things that are important for yourself. There's this thing that happens in Portland every year. It's called world domination summit, and it's a mix of, uh, keynote speeches, uh, like workshops and then user led activities. There's all these people who are just excited to like get better. And I would go around asking people, what's something that you've been working on for four years that you haven't been able to accomplish? And I I ran into this woman named Jill and she's just like, I've been trying to lose weight for four years. I was like, great. Me too. How uh, I said, how, how bad do you want to do it? She said, I would give up. I would do anything. I was like, how about $10,000? Let's do a $10,000 bet. And she's like, yes. (laughs) All right, Jill, let's do this. (laughs) So we were super stoked. We were like instant friends. We ended up making it way too complex, like many things that I do. So it's kind of a mix of losing weight and different types of activities. So for me, I wanted to run a marathon, and the max amount of weight I wanted to lose was 65 pounds. And Jill wanted to lose max weight of 35 pounds and complete a half Ironman. I hadn't ran in 10 years, and now I'm going out and running and just loving every minute of it. If we both win, what we had talked about was like going to New York and going on some kind of shopping spree. So it was just totally cool to have an accountability buddy like that. I haven't had alcohol since last August, including uh, kombucha. (laughs) I've been vegan for the last six months. I've had like vegan parties, I had a broccoli party. If I were to talk about it in terms of the bond, at the beginning of the year, I was at 47. Uh, Now I'm at 110. So it's it's almost a fun game for me. Like, what do I need to improve on mentally, physically, in my health, in my relationships? Then you just have to remind yourself, like, get rid of that thinking mind that's trying to convince you not to do it. Like, you have to go take action. Action is always the answer.
0: Stephen Fiskel is here with us today. Stephen, welcome. How's it going? And joining us, too, is Dr. Gol Golgosani. She's a doctor in Stony Brook, New York, who specializes in internal medicine. At age 32, she is also a millennial. Dr. Golgosani, welcome to you.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So, Stephen, let's start with you. We just heard your amazing story, and there's a cliffhanger. Who won the bet?
1: Yeah, so uh, I would say we both won. Uh, we both hit our kind of our marks for where we wanted to get to in terms of health. So uh, now it's all about just planning the celebration. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: no money was exchanged.
1: No money needed to be exchanged.
0: And how do you feel
1: today? Today I'm I'm feeling great. Uh, it just feels like everything's moving in the right direction. Just good things are happening.
0: Dr. Golshani, what's your first reaction when you hear Stephen's story?
2: Uh, Well, it's always inspiring to hear stories like Stephen's, Um, kind of a young person who kind of lost focus in their life and then redirected everything towards a positive goal, not only just for their physical being, but overall mental health was definitely affected in a positive way. So it's really nice to hear stories like this.
0: Not all diets and routines are one size fits all. So, Stephen, I want to know, how did you tailor your program to your needs?
1: I kind of just sat down and thought about what was important to me and what I wanted to work on. And for me, it was just mainly focusing around eating healthy, exercising, and sleeping well as core fundamentals. So it was just like, eat more vegetables, go to bed earlier, (laughs) start walking and running and doing fun things outside.
0: But if the bet's off, where do you find the incentive to keep up that momentum?
1: I have a lot of hobbies now that are health-related, so whether that's dance, rock climbing, Um, and running, I kind of try to take them all to a little bit of extreme. So, for example, with rock climbing, uh, kind of the core metric is finger strength to weight ratio. So, if I want to get much, much better at rock climbing, I need to lose weight and have stronger fingers. And then for running, uh, my next milestone is running an ultra marathon 100 mile race in April.
0: (laughs) Oh my god, that seems nuts!
1: Yeah, yeah, I think. It is nuts, probably. (laughs) But uh, yeah, everything I have to, I have to continue losing weight, I have to continue training, and I have to kind of track everything on a micro level just to make sure I can hit the mark when race day comes.
0: And what about dance? What kind of dance do you do and what's the metric there?
1: So I do a few different styles. I do turfing, popping, house, hip-hop, contact improv, things like that. Um, The metric for that would be just going out and doing it a lot. And then I also try to encourage other people to come out and dance with me because just like expression of your yourself is um, very scary and hard to do. And I try to get people to overcome that and realize how much fun it is once they can just start dancing.
0: I wonder, Dr. Golshani, uh do you do any of those kinds of uh, dance styles? Is it a millennial thing? Um, my turfing days are
2: definitely over.
0: <laughs> but tell me more generally, how does Stephen's story fit into what you uh, see with younger adults in your work day to day?
2: Sure. So I feel like um, you kind of have two extremes when it comes to the millennial generation. Um, you have younger patients who kind of feel invincible. They do what they want, really with no regard. Um, Their bodies are healthy, they're young, they bounce back really quickly. And then you have the other um, spectrum where people are a little bit more aware of how their actions and their consequences are affecting their health. Um, I think the, the main point is that what people don't realize is that illness doesn't happen overnight. Very rarely do you have um, sickness that happens over a week or two. And, and those are very extreme cases. It's usually an accumulation of your life choices uh, for many years. Young people don't really tend to kind of grasp that. Um, and if they do, they usually are like Stephen, where you know they're living a very healthy lifestyle and they kind of make it into not just something to do on their to-do list, but more of uh, a real lifestyle change.
0: You yourself are in your 30s. You're part of the millennial generation. What got you on the path to internal medicine?
2: So I like to preface it as I'm I'm kind of one of like the older millennials. <laughs> I didn't grow up with Internet, which I think is kind of a blessing. Um, so initially, um, when I was younger, I was very interested in science. But then when I was doing bench work after college, I realized that research really wasn't the only thing I wanted to do. And I wanted to interact with people and help people uh, going through my medical training, I was really attracted to internal medicine because it's a very cerebral field, um, and you have uh, kind of that idea of a, a general doctor, you know, you're a jack of all trades, you know a little bit of everything. So, you know, at cocktail parties, people come and ask you questions or show you their rash, you know, you can help them out.
0: What's a surprising misconception that people have about doctors who are millennials themselves?
2: I think if I had about maybe a dollar every time I walked into a room and someone said, you're too young to be a doctor, I'd probably be um, done paying off my student loans for sure. Um, I think the misconception is that when you're young, you're kind of inexperienced. So I think, you know, as a a millennial doctor, you kind of have to work a little bit harder to gain trust and notoriety when you walk into the door, just because, you know, it's human nature, people judge you by the way you look and the way you carry yourself and You know, you're not an older doctor walking in. So
0: So how do you do that? How do you gain people's trust of people who are skeptical because of your age?
2: Yeah, so I think the the best way to do that is kind of be approaching the patient in a humane kind of way. Um, You know, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time. And the office to spend with patients as much as we'd like. So we're kind of quick and we go about doing our things that we as fast as we need to do. Um, so I think when, when a patient doesn't really trust you, if you slow down um, and you talk to them and you see really, you know, why they have this mistrust and kind of addressing that, reassuring them, um, giving them the facts, but also talking to them like a human being and addressing that, you know, illness is just not a physical thing. It affects every aspect of your life. So...
0: Stephen, what is your relationship like with your doctor? Uh,
1: great question. I don't know that I've been to the doctor in like a decade. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I haven't gone.
0: <laughs> that doesn't scare you? That scares the bejesus out of me. What about you, Dr. Golshani?
2: That's super common. That's common? Very common, yeah. I have colleagues who um, haven't been to the physician in many years as a young person, like I said, you feel invincible, you feel healthy. And, you know, why are you going to go to a physician if you don't need to? In
0: 2012, there was a study that found that millennials are less likely to seek medical attention because they have frustration with the healthcare system. What's your take on that?
2: So I think a lot of it has to do with when you are young, um, you might not have access to healthcare the way maybe your parents do or the older generation does. Um, and if you do have access to healthcare, maybe it's not the best. Um, so a lot of it, I think, has to do with a socioeconomical kind of factor that younger people are not um, m- maybe getting the benefits um, or the jobs that would allow them um, to really explore what the, what the healthcare field has to offer them. And they kind of try to take health and these kind of manners in their own hands. Stephen, what is your opinion about the health and wellness movement generally?
1: I think it's moving in a direction that's a lot of fun. When I was growing up, like the way that you got healthy was you kind of went to the gym and you lifted heavy objects, and it's just so boring. And now there's just so many ways for you to have fun while you're you're exercising. And so whether it's CrossFit or Soul cycle, or dancing, or rock climbing. There's just so many options out there. But it
0: sounds like for you, it's very much about personal agency and not being part of uh, something systemic. You know, you're not going to see a doctor. You're just rock climbing on your own.
1: Yeah, there, there probably also is like a, an element of stubbornness. I'm sure. Uh, I like to figure out problems on my own, which is maybe not the best way to approach it but um yeah that sense of agency is really important to me uh one time i moved a futon and i pulled a muscle but i thought i had appendicitis or whatever so we went in to get like x-rayed and then you're out like i was out like 500 because of this thing and you really don't know how much you're going to be spending going into this um which is a scary thought and you i definitely there's a sense of like helplessness
0: That being said, the mother in me has a reaction to Stephen, which is you say, you know, I don't know if I go in, I don't know how much they're going to charge me, but you haven't even asked how much they're going to charge you. And if it was appendicitis and you had ignored it, well, that could burst and then you'd be in 10 times worse shape.
1: That's definitely true. Um I mean, my first source of truth is always, like, the Internet to gauge how bad it is. And then I make a judgment call based off of that.
0: Dr. Golshani, is that something you find a lot, that people go to Dr. Internet?
2: Yes, Dr. Internet is uh, my worst enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Is there not good information there? Well, you know, there's a lot of great—actually, there's a lot of great information. Um, and— It's nice when when patients are advocating for themselves and they come in with knowledge um, and you can have a very intellectual um, conversation with them and they're like proactive in their situation, but sometimes you kind of go down a rabbit hole and... So Stephen pulled a muscle moving a futon, um, and he thought it was appendicitis. Well, appendicitis can be, you know, that pain can be like a 100 different things. And then before you know it, you're thinking, oh, my God, I have cancer, and I have to go to the hospital. When you don't know what you're looking for and you have so much information, it's so easy to get lost.
0: And also, a lot of it isn't official. A lot of it is sort of in chat rooms where these wives' tales circulate, and then people think of it as truth, and it isn't. Uh, I mean, when I look on the internet, I look at very specific sites, like I'll look at the Mayo Clinic or the CDC or things that are kind of establishment uh, websites, which I still might talk to a doctor about, but at least I'm trying to investigate questions responsibly
2: exactly and and all those websites you know there's there's data behind the information that they're giving to patients and i think they do a really good job especially the cdc of informing patients but like you said those chat rooms and yahoo answers i mean those are just people on the internet saying what they need to say and it can get really dangerous because you can sit on something that could be very serious and before you know it like you said it could be a hundred times worse and then you're in a lot more trouble than you were initially I understand where where people are coming from. I mean, my colleagues, myself, my doctor friends do not go to doctors because, one, they really don't have time, and, two, they think they're healthy because they're young and they're invincible. Unfortunately, sometimes things happen and things change. So,
0: I'm curious. Is that true whether a millennial has, uh, say, depression versus, like, an ache in their thigh?
2: I think it's probably reversed. I think people tend to go to the physician when it's a physical ailment. And less so when it's a, you know, mental wellness kind of picture, because a lot of the times people tend to self-medicate through different avenues. But if it's a physical thing, you know, there's only so much you can do before the pain is overwhelming or you get sicker. So I think people tend to seek out medical care more so when it's a physical ailment.
0: Steven, does that hold with your experience anecdotally among your uh, circle of friends?
1: Um, Everyone I know has a therapist and is focusing a lot on just mental health. But out here in San Francisco, like that same group, it's like people, it's all about like the ketogenic diet and veganism and all these different exercises. So there, there's really a mix of both out here.
0: Uh, Dr. Ghoshani, you have said, uh, and I'm quoting here, it's still not established that our generation is all about health and wellness. I see both sides of the story in internal medicine. What do you mean?
2: So, you know, you're going off of the assumption that people have uh, access to... Smartphones, I mean, yeah, they are ubiquitous, but not everybody has smartphone and apps and, you know, the financial means to go on yoga retreats or join boutique fitness um gyms you know we have we still have a, a lot of people who don't have access to that kind of thing and they don't have access to healthcare either and you know um on long island where i practice i'm at a state hospital so i see you know young people who are summering in the hamptons getting sick and then people who are undocumented migrant workers that are working out um you know on the farms out there getting sick as well um so to me it's kind of a little bit one-sided when, when we're just assuming that our whole generation kind of has access to this when they really don't.
0: To the extent that people do have access, though, what makes this generation's interest in health and wellness different from generations of the past?
2: It's become a billion-dollar industry. Um, anywhere from fitness apps um, to even just basic social media, where you're on Instagram and you're seeing all these self-made um, personal trainers and posting pictures of how you know beautiful and great their body looks, and you say, "Hey, you know, maybe I can do that too." Um, so just having access to all of this um, and, all, and and kind of getting overwhelmed with all this information. Um, so I think it's just much more in your face. Um, Than it was in the past
0: talk to me both of you actually let's start with you steven. What role does technology play in? Your life in terms of health and wellness
1: It's at a lot of different levels. I think Uh, Like something popped up in my facebook feed is like a half marathon and so tomorrow i'm running a half marathon So that's kind of cool. So I can kind of opt into these things that are coming up Uh, and then from a tracking perspective I'm all about like gamifying these different these different things. So like I have a, a goal to run a thousand miles by the end of the year, and so I can see where I'm tracking towards that.
0: So these kinds of apps and all the metrics that uh, help you track your progress. I mean, they they tap into your kind of essential personality and are motivating.
1: Now we have all these these leading indicators of, and and ways to just m- make it fun and make you excited about. Uh, what you are actually doing. And so for me, like just weight loss is, is more of an afterthought. It's a result of doing all these other things. So I'm excited about the mileage I'm putting on and then I'm just losing weight as a result of all of that.
0: Is there a downside?
1: Uh, I think so. I think you can definitely get lost in the numbers. Um, like if you start tracking like your recovery and your sleep and – like how, how many hours you're getting and, and associating that to how you're feeling. And you can really get lost in the metrics and not actually just listening to your body, which I'm actually more prone to, is just like, how am I actually feeling? Do I feel like I need more sleep? Do I feel like I need to rest rather than relying on metrics?
2: Dr. Golshani, do you use any metrics to track your fitness? Um, You know, I'm a runner myself, Um I noticed kind of what Stephen was touching on, that you kind of become obsessed with the numbers. So I kind of step back from using fitness apps um, and kind of just do it a little bit more of an old school way. Maybe that's the elder millennial in me. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: How are the health choices that young people are making now changing the patient experience for people in every generation?
2: I think now that everyone has access to information, whether it be credible or not, um, is making the patient more of an advocate for themselves. So a lot of the times the older generation I see, I'll ask them, you know, what are your medical problems? What medications are you taking? And they don't know. So it's very similar to asking someone, what kind of car do you drive? And they say, I drive a red one. And you're like, what? You don't know what kind of car you drive? And to me, it's like, you don't know what kind of medications you take. Um, so I think now the younger generation is a lot more proactive about that. Um, and, It's nice that when patients come in, um, you know, they have an established diagnosis, they read up on it, they read up on the treatments. And it's really nice and refreshing because you're having like an intellectual conversation with the patient. You know, we're partners and we're coming up with a treatment plan together. And it's what you as a patient feel comfortable with. And I'm just providing that data and that support to get you to the right decisions.
0: So we said earlier that younger generations are seeking out apps and online health resources for better or worse. What does that mean for the future of medicine?
2: Stephen's story, you know, he he made that choice to lose weight and get healthy and now this has become his life. You know, it's it's a routine for him. It's not something that he has to really think about. I mean, yeah, he is thinking about <laughs> tracking everything, but he's, you know, being active is just his lifestyle now. And I think with these apps and making it fun, um, you know, going to the gym is not a chore anymore or participating in these classes or going out for a run um, is kind of a social thing now. Um, So it tends to see that people are kind of going to be doing it more. Um, And I think, you know, it should have a positive effect on, on individuals' health.
0: With your friends who aren't doctors and have nothing to do with the medical field, what do you wish they cared more about in terms of their own health and in their approach to healthcare?
2: I want them to know that they are taking care of themselves now and investing in themselves now for the future. Very similar to the way we invest in our 401Ks. It's the same way you should be investing in your health. Your health is your biggest investment.
0: Stephen, are you more inclined to maybe see a doctor, get a checkup, uh, now that you've heard from Dr. Ghoshani?
1: Uh I definitely think that I am, I I, def, I I think I'm still in that invincibility mode. And especially when I'm about to go to battle with my body, uh, I think it would make sense to um, just have a, a much more comprehensive view of how my body's doing and what I need to focus on.
0: And what's next for you? Are you going to keep on uh, gamifying uh, healthy living?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the Bond Industrial Average is going to keep gonna keep up and right now with this race coming up, it's all about getting really micro on everything. These races are about 30 hours long, so I have to have a nutrition plan, a electrolyte plan. Um, there's still just so much to learn uh, to getting to a race like this. It's a fun game for me to kind of figure out like how do I optimize this all so that I can actually accomplish this next milestone.
0: What metric are you most proud of?
1: I think for me, like, clothing size is my favorite metric. A year ago, I was wearing, like, a a 2X T-shirt and, like, a 42 pant, and now I'm down to, like, a 36 pant and a large, almost large T-shirt.
0: Wow. Do you have any questions for Dr. Gosani?
1: Uh, What advice do you have for me running an ultramarathon?
2: <laughs> you know that... Running is is like 90% mental, so I think, you know, everything with electrolytes and staying hydrated and your diet and everything is excellent, but definitely, definitely make sure you have the right people supporting you and cheering you on and kind of uh, making sure that you're not in your head too much because that's really what's going to make a difference between you starting the race and, and actually finishing it and, and being successful, so...
0: That's good advice, uh, not just for running, but for life. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Good luck with that run tomorrow.
1: (laughs) Thank you. And in April. Yeah.
0: Stephen Fiskel, Dr. Golsani, thank you both so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. Thank you.
0: Stephen Fiskel is chief of staff at Stitch Labs in California. Dr. Gol Golsani is a doctor of internal medicine in Stony Brook, New York. You can find out more about everything in this series at lifeeffects.teva. Life Effects is a production of Slate Studios in partnership with Teva. My name is Sarah Ivry. Thanks so much for listening. Please join us again.